Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Monday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And a, a quick thing before we get started today. Today, I uploaded to that secret, not secret channel, youtube.com slash DeFranco does to, 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 to talk to you about something that's very important uh, to me that, uh, yeah, if you're not getting the vibe, it was an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but it was important uh, that I share it. So after today's show, I highly recommend you check that out. But Philip DeFranco can compartmentalize. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up. Hit that like button, otherwise we'll punch you in the throat, and let's just jump into it. And the first things that we're going to talk about today are huge pieces of news out of the world of entertainment, starting with the fact that it is actually happening. Floyd Mayweather, in February of next year, will be fighting Logan Paul. So for any of y'all that thought that just because it was going from 2020 to 2021 that the world would become less ridiculous, no. Unlike age, the year is just a number. According to reports, the, the fight will be considered a special exhibition. It's happening on February 20th. In one corner, you have an undefeated champion with a 50-0 record, multiple world titles and five weight classes, an Olympic bronze medalist. And in the other corner, you have a guy that, that couldn't beat KSI twice and lost once, which is probably why so many people are gonna be putting their money on Floyd Mayweather to win. But I would also argue that Logan Paul has already won. The fact that this fight is even happening, that contracts have been signed, Logan Paul is a winner here. The only thing he has to do is make sure he does not suffer long-term brain damage. That's it. That's how low the bar is for Logan Paul here. Even if he got knocked out, like how his brother Jake Paul knocked out Nate Robinson, one, Logan Paul would probably put his own unconscious body on a t-shirt and make millions of dollars. But also, two, that's what we would expect to happen because you have Floyd Mayweather fighting someone that is that is not really a professional boxer. Like if LeVar Ball was able to convince Michael Jordan to actually face him one-on-one -on -one for pay-per-view. It's the same thing on a skill level, that should not be happening. But the person who is less skilled and still getting paid wins that. The reason the Jake Paul fight was so surprising is even though he was predicted to win that fight, uh, in his first fight, he got his nose busted and he ended up only kind of winning. The second fight, he was going against a guy that fought him crab style. And then boom, against an actual athlete, obviously not a boxer, you see knockout power. But once again, if Floyd Mayweather put Logan Paul on the ground, we all expect that. Which is why really the only person that has something to lose here is Floyd Mayweather. Smart money's on him, but you know, maybe he'll get the flu before the fight or he'll be thinking of all the cool stuff that he's gonna do with the money that he gets from this fight for a second and then he gets clocked. Because, I mean, honestly, even if this went to, somehow went to the judges, that is, that, that's kind of a stain on Mayweather's legacy. Which is why I greatly disagree with the, the, the reaction that we've seen out of some, that Logan has to be out of his entire mind to be taking this fight. It's such a win for him, and I also, I, I wonder how many people are gonna purchase the pay-per-view. Right now, for the first million, uh, it's priced at $24.99. After that, it goes to $39.99, then $59.99 on December 29th, before hitting $69.99 on February 11th. There's also the question of how well would this pay-per-view do compared to most recently Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones, where of course we also saw Jake Paul and Nate Robinson in the co-main event. That reportedly sold 1.6 million pay-per-views, making it the best-selling pay-per-view of all of 2020. Which, I mean, you look at the fact that this fight is happening, you look at those numbers and, and it's hard to not see, at least for the next few years, celebrity influencer boxing being a part of the future. I mean, you've even had recently Mike Tyson saying that these YouTube boxes have brought back the public interest in the sport. With Tyson saying specifically that they were losing the attention to the UFC, which on that note, we actually saw UFC president Dana White sharing his thoughts on this fight. When people ask me, what's the state of boxing uh, right now? That's that's where it's at. I mean, that, didn't that kid get beat up by the...
video game kid from England, and now he's going to fight Floyd Mayweather. Which, once again, is why this is such a ridiculous win for Logan Paul. The man has not won a fight. He would whoop my ass, but facts are facts, and now he's going against Floyd Mayweather for that bag. But hey, that is the story, uh, a lot of my personal takeaway, and now I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts about this actually happening now? Do you agree with me? Disagree with me? Why? Why not? Also, if you are a fan of boxing, are you in the camp that this actually hurts the sport, or are you in the camp that, no, it's bringing more attention to it? I'd love to know what you're thinking and why in those comments down below. Then, an even bigger entertainment news. This is actually an update on something we talked about Thursday regarding HBO Max and Warner Brothers. Right, last time we talked, Warner Brothers announced that for 2021, they were going to stream their movies on HBO Max the same day that those movies came out in theater. With those films being on the streaming service for one month while the theatrical run runs its course. And this, of course, was massive news. I mean, this is a shakeup to an established medium. This is gonna have a huge impact on box office revenue, movie theaters, which are already suffering a lot because of the pandemic. Though, of course, the pandemic is one of the main drivers here. But as far as why are we talking about this today? Well, it turns out that a lot has come out since this announcement, including we have since learned that studios and executives apparently were given little to no warning. With Vulture reporting that some executives texted each other things like, this is ridiculous that they wouldn't even make one phone call. And they didn't even try to reach out and they just assumed that we would go along with this. With executives and others likely mad, not just because they were left out of the loop, but because this has a great impact, not just on the movies and the studio as a whole, but in fact, in some cases, their paydays, with Vulture noting that WB did call the heads of major talent agencies so they could work out contract complications caused by this. For example, one case being Wonder Woman herself, Gal Gadot, right? Wonder Woman 1984, it's gonna be coming to theaters and HBO Max on Christmas. She was reportedly set to make $10 million on that film, but that check also depends on a back-end component that would only kick in when the movie earned a certain dollar amount at the box office. But when you have a movie in the United States going to streaming the same day that it's going to theaters, and also there's no direct purchase of that product, right? It just becomes available if you have a subscription to the larger HBO Max product. It becomes less likely that those dollar amounts will be reached as it incorporate other math, and Gal Gadot is far from the only person with this kind of clause in her contract. And so WB may actually end up having to buy out every deal like this, which is incredibly expensive. And this isn't the only scramble that WB will likely be in because of this. I mean, just this morning we saw a deadline report that there could be a legal challenge. Right? For example, production company Legendary Entertainment could begin with one, with the report saying they were given no advance notice of this deal prior to it going public, adding Legendary Entertainment either has or will send legal letters to Warner Bros. as soon as today. This because Dune, starring Timothy Chalamet, directed by Denis Villeneuve, a movie they financed 75% of the $165 million budget, is among the movies getting this dual release. Legendary could also bring up Godzilla versus Kong in their arguments as they paid for a similar amount there and also reportedly were ready to hand the movie over to Netflix for $250 million before Warner Brothers blocked that. With Deadline adding, Legendary certainly seems to have the right to challenge Warner Media on its decision. Also, noting that Dune was said to be the first of multiple films based off of a series of novels begging the question, will the long-term viability of the franchises be tarnished by starting out as an HBO Max offer? And as even Deadline noted, you have a lot of people with skin in the game here that are not happy with Warner Brothers right now. But also, in addition to those battles of potential battles, there is the debate about the consequences and financial fallout of this decision in the long run. With reports going on to note that for HBO Max, for this to be a success, this big 2021 swing, at least in terms of cash, they would need to boost HBO Max's subscriber count from under 9 million to between 25 and 30 million in a year, which is easier said than done. I mean, the streaming service has been kind of off to a slower start, not a quibby start, but slower than they would probably like. Also, this possibly connected to the confusion between regular HBO and other HBO services. Right, we've had HBO, HBO Now, 
HBO Go, now HBO Max. Also, very oddly, HBO Max is still not available on Roku, which is odd, and also cuts off a possible stream of revenue. And remember, over the course of the year, a lot of the movies that are gonna be released are these blockbuster movies, movies that they expect to make a ton of money on outside of a pandemic. Right, once again, we're talking Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad, The New Matrix, which is also why reportedly had one big executive telling Variety that Warner Media has, quote, parted with easily $2 billion in assets, gift wrapped for HBO Max that will see absolutely no return. The theater heads also chiming in, like AMC president Adam Aaron saying, clearly Warner Media intends to sacrifice a considerable portion of the profitability of its movie studio division and that of its production partners and filmmakers to subsidize its HBO Max startup. As for AMC, we will do all in our power to ensure that Warner does not do so at our expense. We will aggressively pursue economic terms that preserve our business. Which, I mean, that statement does make sense. AMC, as well as theaters in general, are hurting. AMC in the third quarter of this year, for example, example, lost $900 million. Uh, 45,000 Cineworld employees have lost their jobs. So there is the question of can theaters survive this? And, and I think in part, the answer to that depends on what other studios do. Right, you have the, the CEO of Warner Media saying this is because of the pandemic. I absolutely believe in the theatrical marketplace. But if other studios follow suit in 2021, I, I don't know how you survive that year. But ultimately, we're going to have to wait and see, but I will say, if there is one thing that, that seems to stand out from all these new updates, well, I think this move for 2021 may be a massive success 12 months from now. For accessibility reasons, I'm kind of rooting for a success. It really feels like this move from Warner Bros may have been a desperate move. The rollout and announcement seem so clunky and chaotic, but that also doesn't guarantee failure. Sometimes what seems to be an impossible or failing situation forces innovation, or uh, desperate moves that could result in the loss of billions of dollars in jobs. Time will tell. And then let's talk about Georgia, my home, for a few years back when I was broke and didn't realize how overpriced Buckhead was. But that is not why we're talking about Georgia. Rather, it's because two special elections that will shape whether the U.S. Senate is going to be controlled by Democrats or Republicans is about to happen. Last night, there were two debates, though uh, in one debate, you had Democrat John Ossoff going on stage alone. This because his Republican challenger and incumbent, David Perdue, refused to show up, which is why throughout the night, we saw Ossoff calling Perdue a coward at one point, even saying, My message for the people of our state at this moment of crisis is your senator feels entitled to your vote. Your senator is refusing to answer questions and debate his opponent because he believes he shouldn't have to. And while Purdue's staff said that he wanted to focus on meeting with voters instead, notably not showing up also meant that he wasn't asked pointed questions about the pandemic or accusations of insider trading. And also, in my opinion, if you watch the last time those two had a debate, there is a reason he was not there. I also would not want more people watching the dismantling of everything I stand for. But in the second debate last night where both candidates actually showed up, you had Republican Senator Kelly Leffler against Democratic Reverend Raphael Warnock. And there, among other things, we saw Leffler trying to label Warnock as a radical liberal. Warnock also trying to paint Leffler as radical, saying that she welcomed the support of a QAnon conspiracy theorist. That being Representative-elect Marjorie Taylor Greene. Though, last month, Leffler said, look, I don't know anything about QAnon. But easily one of the biggest takeaways of the night actually came from the first 
question, with one moderator asking Leffler to explicitly state whether or not she believes, like President Trump, that the election was rigged. Also asking her if she supports his demand that Governor Brian Kemp call a special session to overturn Biden's win in the state. A win that, once again, was democratically decided by the people of Georgia, and a win that, in fact, before today, had been confirmed twice, and now today has been confirmed a third time. This still, after a month of dozens of lawsuits from the Trump campaign, all alleging voter fraud claims that have been overwhelmingly dismissed by judges, even ones appointed by Trump himself as baseless. But instead of denying the claim that our election was rigged, when asked, we saw Leffler kind of dodge that question. And look, it's vitally important that Georgians trust our election process, and the president has every right to every legal recourse, and that's what's taking place. But I've called for investigations, and now there's 250 investigations open here in Georgia. Moderator then asking her again in an attempt to get her to explicitly answer the question. Senator, did you believe the, the election was rigged? Look, Greg, it's very clear that there were issues in this election. There are 250 investigations open, including an investigation into one of my opponent's organizations, you know, for voter fraud. And we have to make sure that Georgians trust this process because of what's at stake in this election. You know, the, the promise that Chuck Schumer made was to fundamentally change America. And I'm making sure that we don't go down the road of socialism. Right, so dodging the question, but still casting doubt, but still saying, I need you to vote. This, all in addition to, I mean, even last week, you had Attorney General Bill Barr, of all people, saying that there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Also, uh, of note, uh, you do have Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger saying yesterday that, well, yes, there are 250 investigations underway in the state, his office has yet to find evidence of systemic fraud that would change the the outcome. And even though over the weekend at a rally in Georgia, Trump continued to spurt baseless fraud claims and call on Kemp to overturn the results, Kemp again said yesterday that he would not call a special session and that Georgia's election results will stand. So it is striking, it is stand out that Leffler won't outright admit that Trump lost, but it also does make sense. Much of the Republican base is the supercharged Trump base. And we've already seen some high profile Trump supporters saying boycott the Georgia election. Though, of course, you do have a number of notable Republicans pushing back against that saying no, vote. Once again, that doesn't make sense if you truly believe that the system is rigged. But also with this debate last night, I, I do wanna note that it wasn't just unanswered questions from one side. For example, you had moderators asking Warnock how much money Congress should put into a second stimulus package, Warnock not giving a specific answer, but instead going more general, stressing the need for the package to support small businesses, essential workers, infrastructure, and green energy. The moderator then asking again for specifics. Can you give me a number? I, I, look, I, I think that we should uh, at least make sure that whatever we do, workers are at the center of that relief. You also had another moderator asking Warnock if he supports calls to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court. An idea you might remember we saw being pushed by some Democrats after Senate Republicans rushed through Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings to approve her just a week before the election, which uh, I will say I, I did expect this question to kind of be danced around. We saw Biden do the same in previous debates. So to that question of increasing the number of justices, Warnock said. And as I move all across the state, Greg, people aren't asking me about the courts and whether we should expand the courts. I know that's an interesting question for people inside the Beltway to discuss, but they're wondering when in the world are they gonna get some COVID-19 relief? Like it will impact please. people on the ground. So I am wondering if you can answer the question, do you support 
expanding the Supreme Court. I, I, I'm really not focused on it. Also, among other key highlights, we saw both Leffler and Warnock saying they would take coronavirus vaccine supported by health experts, but also saying they'll encourage others to also take that vaccine, which is an important note from any of our leaders because vaccine hesitancy is very high with this specific vaccine. As we've talked about, there are a number of people concerned for a number of reasons, including the, the development rate has been so rapid for this vaccine. But also keep in mind here in the United States, we are still waiting on the FDA confirmation for emergency use. But of course, like I mentioned, mentioned in the beginning. Despite having similar answers to this one question, a lot of the debate was Leffler and Warnock trying to paint the other as out of touch with the voters. Leffler calling Warnock a socialist, but Warnock confirming he believes in, quote, our free enterprise system. Right capitalism. Leffler also accusing Warnock of wanting to defund the police, which Warnock denied saying, I don't think we should defund the police, but we certainly do need criminal justice reform. We need to make sure that we have an independent review process when civilians die at the hands of police. Uh, we need to make sure that police and officers and departments that have a pattern of misconduct uh, are held accountable. We can do that and celebrate uh, police uh, at the same time. With Warnock attacking her record by repeatedly accusing Leffler of using a private coronavirus briefing back in January to engage in insider trading, right? Similar to Purdue. And while it's been a subject of a lot of debate, a Senate Ethics Committee investigation found no evidence of violations. And you know, if you're looking for a more detailed understanding of the debate, I'll link to it down below. Yeah, ultimately that is where we are. The election will be taking place on January 5th. Also, if you happen to be in Georgia and you're watching this video, if you are not yet registered to vote and you're finally realizing the importance of this situation, in this moment in time. The deadline to register is today. And to be clear, there is no election day registration in Georgia. So when I say today is the last day, it actually is. Make sure you are registered. You can do so online and provide a link down below. As well as actually, as long as it is postmarked by today, you can also mail in your registration. From there, early voting will begin next Monday. It'll continue until the first. You also have until the first to request an absentee ballot though. Big note there, that ballot must also be returned no later than January 5th at 7 p.m. But yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens here. I mean, Georgia hasn't had a Democratic Senator since 2003, but if this year has shown us anything, anything is possible, especially with, with the messaging on the Republican side being so messy. Right, baseless fraud claims in one breath, telling people to still though go out and vote in another. A chunk of the Trump base feeling wronged by Republicans not willing to say that what the president is saying is true. But ultimately, we'll have to wait and see. It ultimately comes down to who actually shows up. And then finally, let's talk about, actually let's talk about a story that could have massive implications for how these two races may play out. And specifically here, I'm talking about a stimulus bill. Right, last week we talked about a bipartisan group of senators proposing a $908 billion dollar stimulus proposal that, among other things, include an additional $300 a week in expanded unemployment benefits, $288 billion for loans to small businesses through the Paycheck Protection Program and other similar programs, $160 billion for state and local governments, $25 billion in housing assistance, and short-term federal protections for businesses from coronavirus-related lawsuits. But big thing there is that is just a proposal. It's not yet an official bill with set tax laying out those policies. Though, notably, negotiators have said they expect to finalize the legislation tonight. But one of the key things here is even if this group does reach an agreement among themselves, there is still one huge question that remains. Will leadership sign on? Right in there, last week, Democratic leaders did throw their support behind the general bipartisan proposal, but they were also very careful with the phrasing of their endorsement. With House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer both agreeing that the plan is a basis for negotiations, but when it came to the country's top Republicans, it was a very different story. Even as more and more key rank and file Republican senators have signaled their approval, Mitch McConnell has still refused to embrace the bipartisan plan. Right, and for months, McConnell has repeatedly claimed that Democrats were the sole reason there wasn't a proposal because they wouldn't compromise 
with Republicans, even though in reality, both sides were guilty of not budging from the plans that they wanted. But now the Democrats have agreed to make concessions and strike some agreement. McConnell is still refusing to do the same, even though while he's not being bipartisan, he has continued to call for bipartisanship last week while literally proposing his own plan that breaks drastically with top Democratic priorities. It's also reportedly very similar to a bill that he already brought to the floor in recent months that has now failed to pass twice. Those failures also the reason we even have this bipartisan proposal in the work, right? Very significantly, McConnell's proposal does not include any federal unemployment benefits. This, despite the fact that McConnell knows that extending federal joblessness aid is a deal breaker for Democrats. And what makes it even more perplexing is the fact that it's also something Republicans have generally agreed to, though they differ on how much benefits should be allocated. Now, as for why McConnell is doing this, he claimed last week that Trump would veto the $908 billion deal, but Trump has also not said, at least publicly, that he would veto the bill. What we have seen is last week when a reporter asked if he supported, quote, this bill. Trump said he would, though it wasn't clear at the time which proposal he meant. And while a spokesperson later clarified that the president had meant McConnell's plan, that also was not a statement or confirmation that he would veto a different, bigger deal. And in fact, just yesterday, we saw one of the Republican senators leading the bipartisan negotiations telling reporters that Trump has indicated he would sign on, with him also adding that he was optimistic that McConnell would come on board as well. But so far, that has yet to be seen from either leader. And while many said that this week is basically make a break for any hopes of stimulus before Biden takes office. There's also been talks among leadership of tacking the bill onto the massive annual bill to fund the government. But very notably there, that bill must be passed by December 11th, right? This Friday, or the federal government will shut down. And so that's why it's now being reported that members will likely pass a one week stopgap measure to avoid a government shutdown and give themselves another week to sort everything out. So obviously that buys them more time, but not really, because we don't know what, if anything, will get passed now. So it's becoming increasingly more likely that there won't be another stimulus bill until Joe Biden is president. But even there, while Biden has said that it will be a priority of his to pass a stimulus package regardless of whether or not Congress approves this $908 billion one, what is and is not possible will be largely connected to this Georgia runoff and would also still mean that Americans would have to go more than another month without desperately needed financial aid. But as we've discussed before, unless federal unemployment programs and eviction moratoriums are extended, upwards of 12 million people are subject to lose all their benefits entirely by the end of the year, and as many as 6.7 million renter households, or roughly 19 million people, will risk being evicted in the coming months. So you know, no pressure or anything to try and get something through. And that is where I'm going to end today's show. As always, thank you for being a part of my daily dives in the news. If you're new here, maybe hit that subscribe button. Also, remember the show is not over. If you want to watch that extra bonus video I put out today, you can click or tap right there or it's in the top of the description down below. But with that said, of course, as always, my name is Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces and I'll see you tomorrow.